Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to, be, to bow his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. And to let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Amen. That is God's word, and it is true. Amen. So this morning, I, we do have our guests with us today, and I want to invite them up because you are going to be blessed, and they need more time than I do. So um, I want to invite up uh, Suzanne, uh, Lewis Johnson, Leah, um, Clancy, and James Talbert. Let's welcome them again this morning. Um, a little, little bit about them um, from, uh, from me. So uh, James Talbert, if you don't know who James is, uh, James, he's our, he's our boy. Um, he, uh, James uh, went to Malone 
and uh, was an intern here at the North Canton Chapel, and then he came on staff, and we ate a million breakfasts together, and uh, God birthed in him a vision, a lot of omelets, Uh, thank you, John, and so uh, we uh, um, planted a church in Akron, how long ago, James, I guess, 20 months, yeah, and so um, they're rolling in Akron, and uh, um, we love you, James, we're so glad you're here today, Uh, yeah. Leah Clancy. Um, Leah, um, uh, this is, if you don't know Leah, you may know Dan Clancy, who's on staff here as one of the pastors. Um, Leah works at Rahab, and she's worked in a lot of different roles. She's working with minors right now. And, uh, and so Leah, um, Leah and I have traveled the world together um, with teams, and don't mess with Leah. She will punch you in the face. <laughs> it's true. She's from Texas. Like, she put those boots on. You're done with I'm scared of Leah, just saying, <laughs> like a little bit. So, and then Suzanne Lewis Johnson. Now, I'm scared of Leah, but I'm, you know, she looks very small. She was an FBI agent for 10 years. She's a director of Rahab Ministries. She's an expert, and she laughs when I say this, that she's not an expert in anything, but she's an expert in human trafficking, an expert in civil rights, and an expert in the exploitation of, I'm not going to say it, children, children, and, uh, and uh, child abuse, and so um, she knows how to use a gun, and she could touch my neck and put me out in like two seconds. She's, she was uh, uh, in the FBI for 10 years. She also worked with Habitat for Humanity and worked with a lot of their um, global response with Katrina and other things, and so um, somebody important in the room today, somebody special. She knows what she's doing, and so we're really glad you're here, and uh, we love Rahab. We love Citizens, and so one of the things about today, we, we titled today, Shine a Light, and Shine a Light really is, is all about, as the North Canton Chapel, how do we want to shine a light into Northeast Ohio through church planning, through the partnership with organizations like Rahab, and especially Rahab, to see Jesus come into the most vulnerable and broken places of our society. So now I'm done. Suzanne, tell us a little bit about yourself. I told you a little bit. Tell us about yourself and, and Rahab and what it is that you guys do. Well, it is true. I was an FBI agent for 10 years, and the Lord really gave me an opportunity to see things that not everybody gets to see. And what I saw during that journey that I was on is that the government isn't the answer. And I was called to that place for a time, and there are a lot of folks who are called to that place that I left behind. Um, Serving as an FBI agent was the greatest honor of my life. I worked with some really incredible people, um, but Jesus is the answer. His people are the answer. And what I saw was there's more evil in this world than what you know, but there's also hope. I saw as an FBI agent, you know, my job was to find the facts, to find the truth of a situation, whether it be human trafficking or other types of child exploitation. Find the facts, put them on the record so a decision could be made by a jury. But what you hear about in the news is only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Part of the process of finding those facts, you know, there's all kinds of crazy techniques, but bottom line is it comes down to people who are willing to speak up, to speak the truth. It came down to interacting with those people with compassion, what some would call to love your neighbor. And so as an FBI agent, when I would go out and I would talk to people, I would tell them 
the answer to ending human trafficking, the key is truth and love. The Lord called me out of the FBI. He called me to the church to share. The answer is truth and love, and now I can tell you his name. His name is Jesus. The answer to ending the slavery of human trafficking is truth and love in the flesh. And that comes, that comes through us. And so at Rahab, what we do is we let the love and truth of Christ live through us. And we go to the types of places that Jesus went. We go to the streets. We go to the jails. We provide safe places and spaces for women and children who have been oppressed and who have been trapped in what is called modern-day slavery, and it it truly is. I worked not just sex trafficking cases, but forced labor cases. The only difference is the type of work. It's not the techniques. It's not the captivity. It's the type of work that victims are required to do. Yeah. And so, Rahab, your, your big thing is human trafficking. And so some, and I don't know if everyone's aware, like that is a term that seems like it wasn't talked about a lot, but now it's kind of the word that we put on this kind of sex, slavery, prostitution, these kind of words. And so why is human trafficking kind of, why, why do we call it that? I don't Leah, you want to? Well, I think the word um, trafficking can be a little misleading. We think of trafficking as across borders, across lines of movement of people and things to places, but really trafficking is a word for commerce. It's a movement of money or exchanging of goods and services. And so sex trafficking, that's, that's what it is. It's, it's forced commerce of these women and children. And yeah, so that's, it's, whenever you think of trafficking, yes, there is movement, but it Someone doesn't have to actually ever go anywhere for it to happen. I I remember watching a documentary, and a guy said the documentary is, he goes, why would I sell drugs when I can sell girls? Because when I sell drugs, they're gone. But when I sell a girl, I can get her back the next day. So this is the kind of thinking of human trafficking and what they deal with. When we were sitting together a few weeks ago, the, the Elizabeth Smart case had kind of been all over the news. I don't know if you saw that, the girl who was abducted. And it kind of hit me as I was kind of appalled by that situation and I was sitting with them like oh they see Elizabeth Smart every day and there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Elizabeth Smarts that no one hears on the news and that's really what your world is in the day-to-day and it's it's a real battle yeah just in my little piece of work that I do over the last three years I've worked with 120 Elizabeth Smarts like right here in our area so, yeah. Yeah. And so, so when we think about this, like this, this bigger picture, and, and this is what is really great about this group that's on the stage right now, is that, that, that what you said, Jesus is the answer, right? Jesus is the answer to human trafficking. Jesus is the answer to society. Jesus is the answer to all these. But, but why? You know, it seems like the church, right, our job is to proclaim the gospel, and then others, you know, do work of human trafficking. Why, why should we bear that responsibility? When it, it goes really back to the question of mercy and justice. And so whether it's from a church planning perspective or, and James, it's much bigger than church planning for you. But for you, what, why is mercy and justice such a big deal from a, from a biblical standpoint for you? Because God says so. Yeah. Um, when I read his word from cover to cover, what I see is a story of God setting people free in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. If you look from parting the Red Sea to coming down and dying on Calvary to set us free, 
spiritually, that's God's story. And so we're called to just join in his, join in that journey, join in his continuing story of setting people free. Uh, I also see when I look in the word, I did a little study, the internet for all its ills, and it has caused me, you know, the child (laughs) exploitation is off the hook on the internet and traffickers use it to groom and exploit kids and reel them in. But I could very quickly do a search um, in my Bible for the word prostitute. So of course I did that. And I found 74 instances that this term was used. But I also saw some other interesting things. And that was the only time that word is used in a derogatory sense is when God is talking about his own wayward people. It's when he's talking about us. Otherwise, it's used to talk about the law. Or he tells these incredible, amazing stories about individual women who changed the trajectory of all of history. So it's not only that we're called to go after the one. It's not only that we're called to, um, to see those who are around us who otherwise feel invisible, but it may very well be that they're the ones with the biggest callings yeah. on their lives, and we're just meant to help them to find that calling. God used Tamar um, to reveal Judah's sin. He used Rahab to ensure the Israelites' safe passage into the promised land. He used the woman at the well to call an entire community to him. And so I see this pattern of God doing extraordinary things through folks that could either be rejected or just not seen at all. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. James, for you, as you, as you do work in Akron, you guys are engaged in all kinds of work in the city, street by street, block by block. Talk a little bit about that, that question for, for you. Yeah. Um, some years ago here at the North Canton Chapel, uh, I was sitting in Jim College's office and a missionary came in and his name was Sam Stevens. And I got a wonderful opportunity to talk to Sam Stevens for what should have been five minutes, but it ended up being like 30 minutes. And I began to ask Sam Stevens questions because if you don't know anything about Sam Stevens, they didn't like plant one church, but they've planted hundreds of churches across India. It's like 92,000 now yeah. or something like that. Thousands. Yeah. And they're gonna to continue to plant churches all across India. And I asked Sam Stevens, I'm like, man, I'm interested in church planting one day. I'm interested in seeing the gospel be planted in communities all over the city of Akron. What, what does that look like? What is it going to take? And Sam Stevens looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, in the West, but specifically Americans, are good at saying the gospel. And he chuckled, and he said, they don't say it to anyone, but they're good at saying the gospel, but they're not good at showing the gospel. They're not good at showing the gospel. The church of Jesus, Jesus Christ, as seen in the scriptures, is a church that didn't only say the gospel, but it's a church yeah. that showed the gospel. Yeah. What you're going to find in the book of Acts is this ragtag group of 12 individuals that will multiply to 125 individuals. And right before Jesus dies, he's like going to tell them and teach them about the kingdom of God. Sorry, before he ascends, but right before he ascends and right before he goes away, the same group we just taught about the kingdom of God for 40 days, the same group of individuals is going to start talking about Jesus's political reign and his political kingdom and when he's going to come back to restore Israel. But he tells that group of individuals to wait. And he tells them to wait because when they wait, he's going to send the Holy Spirit 
And the Holy Spirit is going to empower them to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. And what you find those 125 individuals do who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, who are living out the kingdom of God in the everyday places and spaces of their life, what you're going to see them do is you're going to see them flip the world upside down for the sake of Jesus Christ. It was so much more than when they gathered. And they gathered in their homes, but it was so much more than when they gathered. They were the church when they were scattered. They were the church when they were at the temple. They were the church when they were at the market. They were the church everywhere because the Holy Spirit had empowered them to be the church. And I guess for us, for us as citizens, it's simply we want to be the church all over Akron and whatever expression we can possibly do that, whether that's with a football team full of kids who are in a neighborhood that the city has just said, you know what, your neighborhood actually doesn't matter. We're going to merge it with another neighborhood. We're going to put you all in a school together where, they were already, where it was already a dangerous space. But we're going to put you in a super dangerous space to the point where I have a kid who's in the 10th grade now who, when he was in the 9th grade, said that he didn't want to go to school because he was afraid. So we want to be the light of Jesus in those spaces, not only when we gather. The guy who's up here leading worship uh, with you this morning, who's playing the guitar, leads a ministry called South Akron Youth Mentoring. And on a weekly basis, there's over 100 kids from a neighborhood in Akron that no one cares about, a failing school system, where in many cases there's no father in the home. They've said, we want to be fathers and mothers to these kids. We want to mentor them because Jesus is the father to the fatherless. And as reflections of Jesus, we want to do that. And they do that in beautiful and exponential ways. And I could stand up here and tell you story after story after story of the amazing individuals that I get to engage in a local church with who have said, you know what? The church is more. It's so much more than the space when we gather. But it's all the time. And Jesus is not only important in the space that we gather, but he's important all the time. So, yeah, that's what's kind of happening. And kind of as you open your eyes, I remember as you were even kind of walking through your faith of engaging in this, and I think it's true, what what you saw was people with vulnerabilities, right? I mean, there's these vulnerable people that they didn't have a voice. No one was speaking on their behalf. They were trapped. And their trajectory was not good. And especially, I mean, maybe you two talk about that. You know, vulnerability is, that's like the A1, like that's the issue of what you face, these vulnerable people being exploited. So, so how do you advocate? How do you step in and, and help people in vulnerable situations or, you know, help make them less vulnerable? Well, first I'd like to say it's a myth. Um, and if you've ever seen the movie Taken, they come in and they take this girl and they sell her off in sex trafficking. It's a myth that that's how this happened. That almost never happens. If someone is ever actually taken or kidnapped, it's because they're already deeply involved in the life. Maybe they try to get out and then they're taken back. Maybe you've read the things on Facebook about stalkers and Target and they're going to take your children out of your basket. That is not true. That's not how this works. The common denominator between all of the victims, um, the survivors, is a vulnerability, a place where they were really hurt in relationship somehow in one way or another, and it left a hole. And so a predator was able to move in and fill that hole in a fake way and draw them in and then exploit them with it. So like at Rahab, we offer all kinds of practical services, 
programs. We have safe housing. We, we, hit, we go to the streets. We go to the bars. We provide food, you know, shelter. You name it. We do all those things. But the heart of what we do is relationship. We believe that relationship is the intervention. It's the thing. It's relationship with Christ, relationship with others, just like James is talking about. In all the places and spaces, those relationships are the things that can prevent, and those are the things that heal. That's fantastic. When you, when you think about vulnerabilities, I mean, you've seen this, like, what, how, how do you see, even maybe for this audience, like, like how do you see these vulnerabilities and then the injustices that, are, that like, spur out of them? I think we have to remember, first of all, that everyone has vulnerabilities. Yeah. Every one of us. Every one of us was taken captive to sin. That is mm-hmm. Satan's weapon. If you go back and you look at the fall, he injected just a little bit of falsehood. He twisted the truth and took it just a little bit off track. And that's what traffickers do. It's a manifestation in the physical realm yeah. of that evil, of taking people captive. So a lot of times it's a lack of self-worth. It, it's anything at all that somebody could be struggling with, that an evil presence is going to come in, take it a little off track, twist that. And so I say it's lies more than anything that's used to take somebody into captivity. And then you do see those other things. I've seen, I've seen folks locked up, beat up, um, put into those kinds of circumstances that you would see in a movie like Taken. It's just that it doesn't start out that way. It starts with the deception. And so we have to be on guard for our own children. And then for folks who don't have somebody to step in to be that, presence. You know, it's that relationship with Christ. It's being in his word and knowing the truth that keeps us on track. And so we need to speak truth into the lives of those who are vulnerable. Yeah. I I would just add to that. Like a lot of our, um, the women and children we work with, yes, they have been locked up or put in chains or closed behind doors, but every single one of them, the emotional and mental bondage that they're in because they've been so broken and manipulated, that's what has to be overcome. And, and those are the things that take a lifetime for, for healing. And, and at the end of the day, Jesus is on, the only one who can fix that. And so there's questions too, like, you know, can't we just go in and can we just rescue them out? No, it doesn't work like that because first of all, we're not the rescuer, Jesus is. Um, But what we do again is is coming back to, we build the relationship with them that empowers them to take the steps that they need to move through this lifelong journey because they are so enchained. Their choices have been taken away. Everything's been taken away from them, but you don't necessarily see it in the physical realm. Well, so one kind of question for everyone and is, I mean, maybe someone here is like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure this happens to some people, you know, or even injustices, but I mean, is Northeast Ohio really that bad? Like, I mean, you know, we hear stats and we hear numbers, but I mean, Stark County is, I mean, is Akron, is clear. I mean, is it really that bad? What, what would you say to that? Yes. <laughs> like, and, and why? Like, how, like, why, why is it so bad? It's everywhere, because evil is everywhere. I think, did I say earlier, there's more evil in the world than what you know. Um, And we know that, because we have scripture, and so um, in some ways we have an advantage over others in society. But this is a hidden crime, and everyone has vulnerabilities. And so I know it's true because I saw it. I got to see behind that veil and see things that other folks don't. Um, They're very hard cases to prosecute. So the cases that you see in the news 
really are just the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of times you'll see folks prosecuted for something else like um, drugs or um, other child exploitation offenses. I know for Leah, I mean, you can give numbers just out of door court, which is just the tiniest little fraction, but really gives um, some solid numbers as to what yeah. we see. Just so um, we're affiliated with Summit County Juvenile Court. They have a specialty docket there called Restore Court, where kids come through, they're identified as um, victims based on maybe crimes they've committed. They can put the pieces together and see what's happening. And if they move through this program, they get their record expunged. And so just within that program that's in Summit County, so these are kids with charges, that, that's what I was referring to earlier. In the last three years, we've had 120 kids identified. And that, again, is just a tiny little bit. That's, there, there's just so much more that we're not even yeah. reaching. And those, those are your kids. Those are Stark County kids. I worked as an FBI agent based out of the Canton office. Yeah. So that's primarily what I was seeing uh, what I saw, and there's a lot of, you know, movement is not required with human yeah. trafficking, but there's a lot of it between Akron and Canton. So we're not talking about two different places, yeah. really. We're talking about one thing, and the traffickers move between communities, and the yeah. victims do too. Yeah. yeah, and it's, last Saturday we had a great event in our building. It was wonderful, and we went out to eat afterwards. And as we came back to our parking lot there at the well, uh, I got dropped off and I got out of my car and there's this car that's like still in the parking lot. So I'm one of the people who's responsible for the building. So I make a phone call and I'm like, hey, should I call the police? This car is just here. and It looks like something shady's happening in the car. And as I leave the car to get into my car, like I see a woman just like leave the car and just like walk down Agate Street. And my heart began to sink because I'm never there at that time of night. And that could be happening in our parking lot, in the place that we worship every week. It could be happening every day. And that's an extreme example, but what we're talking about is systemic. Yeah. What we're talking about is the adult entertainment industry, yeah. which is behind the NFL for the largest industry in all of the United States. What we're talking about is how we teach our boys to be men yeah. and how we teach our boys to objectify women in subliminal ways and in non-subliminal ways. So this is something that's completely systemic. And I think sometimes we can look at these things and we can say, this is why we sent Tim Talley to Thailand, or this is why we sent James to Akron, or this is why Rahab exists. But this is a cultural issue. Yeah. This is an issue for all of us, and this is something that affects all of us, and this is something that doesn't discriminate against socioeconomic status. Yeah. This is an issue for everyone. Yeah, and this is not just, you know, this is about being righteous and doing righteousness. And so, like, so here, congregation, just quick, men and women, children, when you look at pornography, you say, keep feeding the system. Every girl that's trafficked, the end of what that happens in men and women's lives to engage in this kind of activity is a trip to Thailand or a trip to Belton or a trip to downtown Akron. And so this isn't, this isn't, and last I checked, numbers in the church weren't very much different than numbers in society of sexual addictions. So this is a systemic 
problem that, that we think, oh, we don't feed into this. Well, we do. But we also feed into it in another way. One, being righteous, but then doing righteousness is saying that I'm going to do something to step into the broken places and spaces of our world with my life. I'm going to go after the gates of hell because they are not going to prevail against the body of Christ. There you go. Preacher had to preach for a second. I was on the stage too long. Well, so. one detail I'd like to add too, and, and um, part of me, I, I struggle when I get up here because what we see and what we do is so raw and so real. And I always pray because I, I feel like I need to tone it back because I don't want to like be too much for too many people at once, you know. But then at the same time, like, I feel that, and I can say this from a place that I used to be in, we've been blinded for so long. And so these are things that need to be seen and need to be heard. But the sad truth is like with pornography, almost every one of the kids that I've worked with, they were either forced into it or it was used against them to keep them enslaved. So it in itself, besides just the fact of what it does for culture, is an actual tool. And so I I can't harp on that enough, but I just, um, I wanted to go back and, and just make sure that, so... Like, there's this mindset that slavery ended and, and that it's over and Martin Luther King marched and, and, you know, that's all set. And if I would have been born back in that day, you know, I would have been an abolitionist, right? But I think th- the thing that people need to know is it's happening right here, right now. There are more slaves on the planet now than there ever was in recent history. And it is up to us, the church, not to stand by, not to be the ones who didn't do anything about it. And so as hard as some of this is to hear and talk about we can't yeah. not address it. Yeah. We have to actually physically do something, not just yeah. say we care, but do it. Here's where I believe we're called to go. I believe we are called to reclaim our history as our destiny. We have some ugly, ugly parts of our history, and we have all those little things that people stood by for until we did see the horrors of slavery in this country. But then we also had a time came where folks motivated by their faith couldn't stand by anymore, and they took action. And one of those was a little woman down in, should I say that, little yeah, woman? Yeah. But they say she was a pretty small in stature woman um, down in Cincinnati. Um, that's right. Um, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin based on what she saw while living in Ohio. She wrote that book that Abraham Lincoln credited with starting the war that ultimately um, had a big part in slavery no longer being legal in this country. And so I believe right here in Ohio, Rahab, I am new to Rahab. It's unique. It's extraordinary. It was started by one woman, small in stature, who 16 years ago went out to the streets of Akron and just started building relationships, started bringing Jesus to the streets and offering hope. And because it is so unique and because of the way it was started and what the Lord has laid on my heart, I believe that we, the church in Ohio, are called again to reclaim that history as our destiny and to, to grow what has started here in our backyard um, and to, again, be leading the charge, ending the slavery in this country. Amen. Well, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for Rahab. James, we love you. You're not done yet. You're about to preach. And so, um, but what we want to say to you from me on behalf of everyone here, we love Rahab. We are for you. And and I don't know if you know, when you give to the North Canton Chapel, you give to Rahab. And I know there's a lot of dreams ahead for what, what you see the future being of not just Akron, but Canton and far beyond. And just so you know, Rahab is kind of the, 
they're unique. No, not a lot of organizations like this work with the courts, work with the, the real ways to get prosecution and the things done needed. And so people even come and they kind of look at you guys and say, how can we do what you're doing other places? I, I believe that, that there's exciting, exciting things ahead for Rahab as you guys continue your journey. We're committed to praying for you. And I, I know that's one thing that Leah would like, like she'd jump up and down and say, prayer matters, like prayer matters. This weekend, they both sat in my office a minute ago and said, this weekend has been terrible. The things that they can't talk about, most of, it, of everything they can't talk about, that they've seen and they're part of right now, today. And they, they need God's people to come alongside of them and to pray, pray as they charge the gates. And so we're grateful for you. If I could pray over you, and then uh, after I pray, brother, it's all yours, okay? All right, let's pray together. Um, Stand up here. Church, if you will, join me um, as we pray for them. I'll pray. I'll lay my hands on you. Lord, we are so grateful for um, Suzanne, for Leah, for how you have set them apart um, in all of those who work at Rahab and we're grateful how you've set them apart to do this great work. Or we believe it, it is center of your heart of those that are being, being hurt in ways that are unspeakable um, and in, in many ways uh, painful to, to even hear or think about. Where I pray that you would anoint them, that you would be with them, that you would lead them, that you would guide them, that you would bring around them an army of men and women from your church to battle alongside of them. And together as a church, Jesus, might you help us to bring your hope to those who are hopeless, to bring your power to those who are powerless. And so, Lord, we thank you for what they've shared today. Continue to pierce our hearts with what they've said. Lead us into what you'd have us to do to partner Jesus, we love you, we thank you for them, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank them this morning again for what they've shared. Yeah, you can sit again. Um, there are a lot of ways for you to partner alongside of them. Obviously, um, you, as you give to the chapel, you give to them. You can give directly um, to Rahab Ministries. You can come and be trained to be a counselor, to come alongside. There, there's all kinds of ways to partner with Rahab, and they are no joke. They've got their stuff together. Go to their website. Um, I think there's some information that will be available in the lobby. Um, find out more about it so we can partner.